so there's an old story told about the apostle John and he was of course one of the 12 and he was the only one of the 12 to live to an old age and die a natural death all of the rest of them according to tradition uh, died a martyr's death for the faith and the account tells us that when John was old and he was weak with age, that many young Christians would seek him out and they would ask him a question or a couple of questions. And Manoah said the same thing. They would ask him, what is the secret to living the Christian life? and How do you do it? And I think many of us have asked that same question at different times in our lives. We love our God. We know he loves us. He he sent his son to take our sins away, to die in our place. And we know how often, though, we fall, how often we fail at living that, that faith. And yet we so much want to succeed, to follow Christ, to to make a real difference in this dark world. We, too, would like to know, how do we do it? How do we live out this faith that we love so much? Well, you know, John had an answer to that question. Every time someone would ask him, his answer was always the same. He would look at them and he would say, My little children, my little child, love one another. That was his answer. You see, love really is the distinguishing mark of our faith. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, and he replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he went on to say that all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. He told his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, before he went to the cross, that they were to love one another as he loved them. And he said that if you do that, the world would see it and that they would know beyond any doubt that you are my disciples. Love is a demonstration of the life of God in us. Paul says that we can have spiritual gifts. We can have a faith that moves mountains and even give up everything that there is in this world. But if we don't have love, we're an empty sound to amounting to nothing and gaining nothing at all. Love makes everything we do or we try to do real and effective. And this table that we're going to come to a little later on this morning is really all about God's love for us and his love in us for others. Now, lastly, when we were together, we talked about Paul's love for the Philippian church and the special relationship they had The Philippians were partners together in the good news with Paul. And because of that, the love that they shared, Paul prayed often for the Philippian church. And he told them in detail just what he prayed for for them in the letter that he wrote, which is part of our Bible. And so God spoke to the Philippians through Paul's letter to them, and he speaks to us here today through that same letter. So I want to invite you to join me once again in the book of Philippians chapter nine, uh, 1, where we'll be looking at verses 9 through 11. Of course, it'll be on the screen on either side of me. And we're going to see what Paul's prayer
prayer is uh, for his friends there at Philippi. Now, not surprisingly, uh, Paul talks about love in this prayer and what he wants for his friend. Friends, in Philippi is an ever and increasing love. And he says it this way in verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. And we're going to stop right there. See, he wants them to love and to love forever, and he wants that love to grow. First, he prayed that their love would abound. And that Greek word there means to overflow to be in excess, to exceed and surpass. And Paul intensifies that by saying that he prays that their love would abound more and more. Not only that it would be overflowing and in excess and surpass everything that could be imagined, but that it would do so more and more. And just to be clear, it's not the knowledge or insight which follows in the text is know that text which Paul wants to abound. I mean, they're the byproduct and they will indeed grow, but it's the love itself that Paul wants to abound. And, and, and that's what it is that should grow and grow and grow. Now, we're going to come back to this in a little while, to this idea of love and, and see just what that means and what it looks like. But for now, I just want to acknowledge, and I think you can acknowledge it with me, that we understand what Paul is saying here, I think. I mean, we who belong to Christ, we do love, and yet we know that we all too often fall short. We know that we do love, we have that love, and and that love we have is kind of a shadow of God's love. It's, It's real, but it's not all it could be or should be. So we read these words, and if we really hear them, we want that too in our lives, don't we? We want this ever and increasing love. We want our love to abound. Just as Paul wanted that for the Philippians, we want that for ourselves. And we would want it no matter what else came with it. If you know Christ, if you know what he's done for you, you want that no matter what else might come. But if we do have that kind of love, we not only have that, but there are other things that come to us because of it. So says Paul. And what we learn here from this text that we're looking at today, that there are five things which accompany or grow out of or result from an abounding love. And the first thing Paul tells us that comes out of this ever and continually increasing love is that it brings real understanding for life. And so verse 9 again, we see this. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and of depth of insight. And we're going to talk about what that means. But first, I want to show us what it doesn't mean. And so just a moment, if we can... Uh, put up this Far Side comic. I, I just love Far Side comics. I have a kind of a quirky sense of humor anyway. But if you see that there, you know, you can see that rocket. And the caption that's under it is, well, what's it say? Uh, well, let's face it, gentlemen, we're not actually rocket scientists, right? And, and I just, the first time I read that comic, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. It just struck my funny bone. But, you know, this abounding love that we're talking about, you can take that comic down. I, I don't want him to continue reading that, paying attention to it. But, but you know, 
It's abounding love isn't going to make you a rocket scientist or a doctor or a lawyer, but it will make you a better scientist or doctor or lawyer if you already are one, because you will be a better person. Maybe we could say something like this. It's not that we're becoming smarter or more intelligent, but with love comes this real knowledge and real insight about life. Or or we could say it in another way. We know what really matters. So abounding love produces two things. Knowledge, which is a precise and correct knowledge, especially of ethical and divine things, and depth of insight to uh, or as NAS says, uh, it's all discernment or the New Living Translation understanding. And that's an ability to make distinctions and decisions about behavior. It's having perception and insight and a capacity for understanding. You know, almost all of us here, I, I think if I were to sit down and talk with you, I, almost every one of you could tell a story about a Christian that they know, that you know, that um, that uh, passed on taking a promotion from their company because they knew that the best thing for their family was to say no to that promotion. It may not be the best thing for their careers, but they knew what was best for their family. And, and they do that because they know what really matters in life. They have this real knowledge and real insight into their own hearts and their loved ones' needs. So I don't want you to misunderstand when I... And I mentioned this knowledge and this insight because it really does apply to every area of our lives. As the next verses clearly indicate, it's not limited to the so-called moral realm, you know, because morality really affects every part of our existence. Everything is moral, whether we know it or not or whether we like it or not. I used to talk in, you know, Christian circles and we theologize together and talk about the faith and sometimes someone would say and I kind of said it too that that, uh, there were some things that were simply amoral in life they didn't matter one way or another but I don't know any longer that that's true it seems to me that morality touches on every single thing we do even something as simple as eating food do you give thanks before you eat it or do you ignore the God who provided it for you when you eat that food, are you enjoying his creation, some good thing that he's given you? You see, immorality touches on everything that we do, and this insight, this knowledge that comes to us as our love grows and abounds gives us real understanding of the world that we live in. And so that's the first thing that comes from an abounding love is that we know what really matters in life. The second thing which comes from it is an ability to know what is best. And so again, look at verse 9. We read there, And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. And I have to tell you, I think the NIV's translation here is excellent. You see, we're not just talking about discerning good from evil, although that's included in the thought, right? But we're, we're able to tell between things which are good or which we might even call in this context merely good and that which is best. And the good and the best here we're talking about may not be absolutely good or absolutely the best uh, in the sense that they're not always that in whatever situation they're in. 
it, it may simply mean in this particular case in our life, this one thing is good and this other thing is better. This other thing still is best of all. And, and, um, and, and so there's this ability to distinguish between bad and good things and then the best thing in a particular situation we're in. Now, many of you have um, been praying with uh, uh, Ann and I for our oldest son, Earl, um, who's been looking for a new job for a while now, you know. And um, as he was in that process, he found two jobs and applied to them about the same time. And, and those things kind of began to develop about the same time. And he was interviewing with both of those jobs at the same time. And if it wasn't quite the same day, it was within two days of each other, both of those companies offered him a position. They're both good jobs, really good jobs. He'd have been glad for either one of them. But now he's got not just a new job he's looking for, but a choice to make. And which job is he to take? I have to tell you, he didn't choose the one that had the best pay or the most benefits. He chose the other one because he thought there was more opportunity there. I have to tell you, as a believer, when you make a decision like that because your love is abounding and you sense that you know what the best is, I mean, you have a confidence. It's not an arrogance, but it's a confidence. If your love is abounding, if it's growing, it's a confidence that you've made the right decision. And you know what's interesting? That confidence stays with you, even if things don't turn out the way that you hoped that they would. God's love in us as it grows and abounds gives us the ability to discern what is best. There's an old English proverb that says the good is the enemy of the best. And the sense of that proverb is, is that we often settle for something that's good instead of seeking what's best. And abounding love enables us to see whether something's bad or good and among the good choices it helps us to see what is best in a particular situation. And that kind of love can help us avoid being ensnared by sin. Again, beginning in verse 9, we read this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. And here's a third thing, that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Or we could translate it, that you might be transparent and not hurt other people. It's not just that we can discern what's best, but we become pure. And that Greek word means tested by light, right? It's the idea of being spotless. I mean, it's the idea of bringing something out into the sunlight or under a bright light so you can see it and you understand that it's pure, it's sincere, it's without any kind of hidden motives. It reminds me of Jesus when he was talking uh, about to Nicodemus and he said that you know godly people come into the light so it can be seen that the things they do are the things that God works in their life and blameless simply means we're not a stumbling block so that we cause other people to fall and neither of those things means sinless rather the idea reflects people who are sincere in their beliefs and are trying to live them out day in and day out I have to tell you, I, I honestly believe there are some people in our world who walk a long time with God, and they fall into an Old Testament category. If you read in the Old Testament, you come across the word blameless, and it's applied to human beings like you and I. It doesn't mean sinless. 
But the idea that you get from reading it is that they consistently live out their faith and consistently do good in their lives. And, And that becomes obvious to other people when they see it. So if pure here refers to our inner light, the things that are inside of us, well, blameless refers to the way we interact with other people, how we treat them. The qualifier here is that we would be genuine for the day of Christ. Some versions translated for the day, day of Christ and some until the day of Christ. And how much difference it really makes, but... And I prefer the second translation. It, it includes the idea of being ready for when Christ comes. Being prepared because we're blameless, we're pure. Not that we're sinless, but the love affects the way that we live our daily lives. The fourth thing that comes from this abounding love is that we can be filled with the life of Christ. So from the beginning, again, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So blameless and pure refers to something like being not guilty, right? Not actively living in sin. Then this would mean the positive side of Christian living. It has to do with the good things that we do but not just what we would do, but who we really are. And notice that term, filled. I mean, we just don't do a good thing occasionally. We aren't good occasionally. We don't represent Christ just once in a while. The Greek word there means absolutely well supplied. It means complete. Those things that reach to the end. We're filled up with them. We might say that we overflow things were overflowing with the fruit of righteousness. And righteous is what you and I are because of our relationship with Christ. And when our love abounds, it produces a fruit in our lives. Things like good deeds, patience, kindness, goodness, things like that. And that term fruit is singular. It indicates that the things that come from that righteousness are kind of a unit or a whole which is not good in one area it affects every part of our life from the bottom of our souls to the top of our head from the time we get out of bed in the morning to the to go to bed at night from the things we do in our family in our workplace in our free time I know none of us is perfect but that's the idea that we have here, this righteousness, this life of Christ living through us. I've known a, a real a, a handful of people in my life that, that I think were examples in the faith. That they, they were people that I felt their faith was so real, I honestly felt like I could reach out my hand and touch it. And my grandmother was one of those. And my grandma when she got old, she got to a place where she could do very little. But she inspired you when you were just around her. Christ's righteousness shone through her. And it can show through us too. So these things, this fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. It's only because Christ is in us and 
because of our faith that we put in him and that comes out in our life. And it's the abounding love that allows Christ's righteousness to freely be expressed through us. Finally, when our love abounds, we do one last thing according to the text, and that is we bring glory to God. And so now we're going to read it once again all the way to the end through verse 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, if your love abounds more and more, if it's ever and continually increasing, it brings glory and praise to God. Do you know how that happens? It happens this way. God says, I love that person. I, I love you, every one of you here. And I sent my son to pay for the sins of the world. They have put their trust in my son, what he did for them on that cross, and so I saved them. Look at them, God says. Look at them. Look at the way they're living. Look at how they love. Look at the things which come out of their lives. That's my son living in them and through them. And I'm glorified in that, and I rejoice in that. When our love is ever and ever increasing and growing, we bring glory to God. What happens to us is this. We put our faith in Christ. We begin loving and growing in our love, ever and continually increasing, and we that we begin gaining real understanding. We're able to choose those things which are best in our life. We avoid being ensnared by sin. So we're in the light and we're filled with the life of Christ. And all of that brings glory to God. That's what we learn in this passage. That's what this text is telling us. So what I want to do now is I just want to go back and talk just very briefly about what we mean by this love and, and what it looks like. You see, it's not an isolated thing. It's, and it's not a mere emotion. It has an object. So let's begin by just saying it's not a mere emotion. It really is more than that. And, and, and I want to tell you to know something before I go any further. I, I ask permission to tell you what I'm going to tell you now. I want you to know that before I tell you. I asked Anne if it would be okay if I talked about the times that she complains <laughs> Now, I, I know that most of you are sitting there thinking, How, you can't even imagine my sweet wife ever complaining about anything. Well, she lives with me, you know, and that really does explain it all right there. But I've recently made up my mind to try to do this. I've made up my mind that my wife doesn't ever complain. She makes observations. Sometimes she makes them with an edge, and sometimes even with a growl, but she doesn't complain. <laughs> and when she makes one of those edgy or growling observations, I try to remember how I decided to think about that. And my emotions don't change that decision. They might make it easier to keep it or, or harder to keep it, but they don't change it. So if I'm in a good mood, it's, it's easier to think about something that she says just as an observation. 
if I'm in a bad mood, it's much harder, but the decision's been made. And I ought to stick to it, no matter how I feel. And you want to know something I've noticed in the short time that I've been trying to do this? That when I respond appropriately, when I think Anne's just making an observation, no matter how I might feel at the moment, I experience a kind of rest in my heart. And I'm much more positively disposed toward her, and I, I, I care more to, about her observation, and it's easier for me to think, how can I help this, or what can I do about it? I don't think I'm very good at this yet, but I'm learning, I'm trying. You see, that's what love is like. It, it, it has to be there, no matter how we feel. It, it may be easier to love someone when good things are happening, but we're supposed to love them even when good things aren't happening. See, we're Christians, and as Christians, we're to love even our enemies. And, and so even when we don't feel as though we love anybody, we live it out anyway. And what happens is, is in time, God causes our emotions to follow our faith. Love is an act of the will. Whatever your emotions might be, it's an act of the will. That's the first thing we need to understand about the love Paul is talking about. The second thing is, the last question to answer is, um, who are we to love? <laughs> I think everybody here knows the answer to that, right? The first person we would say would be we ought to love God. We know that for certain. All of us know that. And then we know we ought to love uh, other Christians. And finally, we know we ought to love the lost, no matter who they are, even if they're our enemies. And each of these things that we just mentioned are found in the context of this letter. Paul's prayer to God because he loved the Corinthians, his relationship, I mean the Philippians, his relationship with the Philippians, and even the lost are in view when he says next that he defends and affirms the gospel. But you know something? It's hard for us to measure our love for God. And loving the lost does not come naturally to us. So God has given us a way to learn how to do both of those things by loving one another. Here in the church and in our marriages and families, that's the proving ground of our faith. It's a proving ground of our love. You and I, we love because God first loved us. We show our love for God by loving his people. And by loving his people, we learn how to love the lost no matter who they might be. My prayer for you, because I love you, it's the same prayer that I have for myself. May your love, my love, all of our love would abound that it would grow and increase. From that will come all sorts of good things. But the real thing is to love. It's really not about what we do. It's not about how we behave. It's about loving one another. And all those other things 
Well, they begin to fall in place when we learn how to do that. Long ago, I realized I don't know how to keep everything, every jot, every tittle of the law. But I do know I can love my God and I can love my neighbors myself. And that keeps me busy. Someone ever asks you, what does it mean to be a Christian? You need to tell them it means following Jesus Christ. And the way people know it is because we love that love is abandoned in our lives. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for, um, for your love for us. And you loved us before um, we had ever given you a thought. You loved us while we were still your enemies. You loved us before we were born. You loved us before the world was created. And that you are love. And that when we put our faith in you, you place your spirit in us. And you open the world, the door to a whole new world of existence for us. The primary expression of which is love. Teach us. Lead us, guide us, in Jesus' name.